Today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast is sponsored by my friends at Hello Divorce. Divorce is a $50 billion a year industry, and Hello Divorce is changing that model by providing people in California with a new way to divorce that combines best-in-class technology with legal experts ready to help when you need it. They have saved their members not just their time and sanity, but millions of dollars in legal fees. Hello Divorce is a full-service online platform that guides you through the entire divorce process with a library of informative resources, how-tos and instructional videos, do-it-yourself options, and flat-fee legal services. They even have their new app, The Divorce Navigator, that guides you through the 20-plus mandatory California legal forms. So go to hellodivorce.com and find out more. You can use the code DIVORCEBEYOND for $50 off the cost of any subscription or service. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. These magic words and phrases are not foolproof, but they're designed to help you disengage and to neutralize the power struggle. And once you can do that, now you're in charge. Now you're in control. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello everyone, it's Susan. I just wanted to pop in quickly to let you know that this episode is part one of a very special two-part series. This is a topic that you have been asking for more information on, so we wanted to bring it to you. Part two will air next Monday at our regularly scheduled time, so be sure to tune in for that and enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, and today I have a really wonderful guest who has the magic formula for getting what you want from the narcissist in your life. So let me introduce you to my guest. Her name is Lindsay Ellison, and she's a relationship coach and the founder of Start Over Coaching, Inc., which is a coaching practice dedicated to helping people navigate their divorce or breakup. She also specializes in helping people to break free from their narcissistic abuse, and she is the author of the best-selling book, Magic Words, How to Get What You Want from a Narcissist. She also has a very popular podcast of her own called Unbreakable You, Break Up Without Being Broken, which you can um, find on her website, lindsayellison.com. And so we're going to get into a deep dive today on how you can use magic words to get what you want from the narcissist in your life. So thank you so much for joining us, Lindsay. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And hello to your audience. So, you know, I I told you just before we got started, you were kind enough to send me your book. So I have read it. And I, you know, I deal with a lot of high conflict divorces. I've been doing divorce work for 30 years and just 
whether what I'm not sure why, but one of the areas I fell into was helping people through high conflict divorce. And now I do a lot of coaching with people who are either in the divorce process in a high conflict situation or are after but never have really gotten away from their narcissist or or other high conflict personality. One of the things that I have always found, you know, in interviewing people and talking to people who deal with this topic is that they usually have their own experience of dealing yeah. with a narcissist. And that's what sort of drove them to be educated and then to share their knowledge with others. So I think you have a similar story and I thought it might help listeners to understand where you're coming from or where you were coming from as you dove into the magic words. Sure, so yes, I was married for 10 years and I was together with him for 17. I had met him my sophomore year in college, so I was really young, and I spent all of those years in school together with him, and then uh, literally graduated college, packed up my stuff, and went straight to his place. I didn't even go home. And so I, I really just spent my, my whole early adult life with him uh, all through my 20s, and then it was really after having my two kids and um, hitting 30 years old, where things just started, the light bulb started to go off. I was a little bit older, had two kids, and the minute we had kids, really, or it wasn't the minute we had kids, it was really more when my son started to get a little bit older, and in school, our parenting styles really started to clash. And there were a lot of red flags throughout that entire marriage and relationship that I, I really just didn't even know any better to, to question. But then once I turned 30, things just started to become very difficult. And it really took me another five years to get out of that marriage. And I didn't really want to get out. I mean, nobody goes into getting, no one goes into marriage thinking they're going to get divorced. I had two little kids and all I wanted to do was just make it work. But having gone through counseling and all these different things and it just never worked. And what's interesting, and I point this out in my book, in my intro, is that despite our dysfunction on so many levels, I still couldn't quite put my finger on it as to what was really wrong because he was a master at passive aggression and manipulation and a master gaslighter. And so if we were to ever have an argument, it, he would just do a 180 and turn it around and then make me feel as though there was something wrong with me. I'd end up apologizing. And then the cycle would just continue year after year after year. But I just knew in my heart, in my gut, that I just, it wasn't working. I wasn't in love with him anymore for a lot of reasons. And the relationship was very abusive. He never touched me physically, but there was a lot of psychological abuse, a lot of verbal abuse. And should I not be into his submission, and have boundaries, it really resulted in a lot of arguments. So having left that marriage was in itself very hard because like I said, I really wasn't sure why we were breaking up. I just knew I had to. And then now we share custody 50-50. This was now 10 years ago. Having early co-parenting relationship with him, that was very, very difficult. And he used to trigger me all the time. I was just, I was always afraid of him. And I really, again, never knew why. And it was just this brainwashing that they do to us over the years where they really convince us that you have no value, that anything that you say isn't important. And 
they are more important than you. And then as I started to get healthier and in a better place in my life, I realized that was wrong. So then that's where we start to argue. And then we're really not getting along. And it's a very long story as to how I ended up getting to this book, but it started off really through coaching and writing and, and really learning about narcissism and the disorder and the origins of the disorder. And I think this is where a lot of authors miss the mark in terms of discussing the origins, because we typically look at narcissists as evil, the enemy, the abuser, um, the, the scary person. And we label them as such on one level because we have to, right? That's right. what's going to help us have clarity on the situation. But the other thing is that we don't take it past that where we really see the origin of their disorder and that they are actually underdeveloped adults. Right. And we actually are the stronger ones. We're the ones who are more empowered. They just took that from us at one point and we gave it to them at one yeah. point. And so I realized after really learning about the origins of narcissism and codependency, because you can't have one without the other, that we were really still in this dysfunctional dance of communication because of where we were in our patterns. So what I ended up doing was realizing, okay, there's another way of communicating with him. And I started to do that and started to work. And I found that through the years of just you know, year after year, he just didn't have any power over me anymore. And having now coaching clients through this process and through you know similar navigating this co new co-parenting and this new divorce, people kept asking me, so let me get this straight. He texts you and it doesn't bother you? And I say, no, it doesn't. There's nothing he can say that's gonna bother me because I am now actually able to have empathy for him. And when we can have empathy for someone, we're operating out of love rather than fear. And when we can operate out of love, love for ourselves really is more important, then we can think clearly. And I think that's the biggest um, problem that we have with all the books that we that have been written is really the advice is no contact. Right. It we, is very much. Yeah. We can't not have contact, especially if we're in this process of divorcing or co-parenting and, and doing all these things that we have to do with them, with our kids. So that's where I kind of came up with the book. And, and yes, it, it definitely comes from a personal experience. That's where it really started from. But I really started to really apply this formula before I wrote the book to make sure, is this an actual formula that works? And it does. Um, and I also you know, really footnote this a lot in my book that these magic words and phrases are not foolproof, but they're designed to help you disengage and to neutralize the power struggle. And once you can do that, now you're in charge. Now you're in control. Right. And, and it's interesting you say that because when I'm working with clients who are in the throes of this, you know, I call it the death match, you know, with their their ex, um, I, I say, you know, we cannot you're not going to change that person, which is always that aspirational. That's why people send those emails that are, you know, 16 pages long with all the references as to why if you would just yeah. behave as a better father or mother, we could do everything would be better. But you can learn to manage 
your relationship, your communications, and your response to them. So I love what you said about having empathy. Um, you know, it brings up Brene Brown and, and empathy, and, and it's not necessarily just empathy for the person who has the narcissistic personality disorder or traits in your life, but for yourself as well, because there is a lot exactly. that goes into that. One of the things that you said that I, I wanted to um, explore a little further, because I think that many of the listeners will un, will either experience this or maybe in the throes of it, is many people think that, okay, I'm going to get divorced from my narcissist and then everything is going to be better. Like, I'll be free. I'm going to go forward and, you know, it's all over. And in fact, in most of the cases that I see, unless some other changes are made, it gets worse, especially if you're yeah. trying to co-parent because of the, some of the things you said. So what are you know, what were some of the common struggles that you found or that you have seen over your years of coaching now while someone is trying to co-parent with a narcissist? Right. And so, first of all, the very act of divorce is the ultimate boundary. Narcissists don't like boundaries. And I always say boundaries are like kryptonite to narcissists it weakens them. They don't like to feel weak, right? They like to feel as though they're winning all the time. So the very act of divorce is now just, you are a constant narcissistic injury to them and they don't like that. So if you're co-parenting, now you've taken this big boundary, but then as you have now out of the house with this person and you're in a probably a better place in your own headspace, you're not going to um, take a lot of their crap. And again, it's a boundary, it's a boundary, it's a boundary. So the more, the, the, the sad irony is that the healthier that you get, the harder it can be, right? Yep. And so one of, this is, this is so much of why I wrote this book because we have been doing it all wrong. We, while our instinct to say is to say, no, you can't do that because there's so much anger tied behind it through all the years that you did say yes and they took advantage of you. Mm -hmm. So our instinct is to say, no, you can't do that. And boom, I'm drawing a line in the sand. And so every time there is an engagement between the two of you, you then exercise a boundary and you wonder why things are really getting screwed up because they don't like boundaries. So there's a different way of looking at it and saying, okay, what, what's going on with them? If I say no, what is it that they want? What is the goal of this communication? What is my goal, et cetera? And, and we'll get to kind of the, the applicable things of what we can do and say to them. But the very, so some of the kind of the bigger issues is one is parenting styles. Right. That's a constant issue I have with my ex. You know, my kids are 17 and 14 right now, and they are getting gaining a, a large sense of independence. I have a senior and a freshman. One's about to go to school. He has his driver's license. I have a very different parenting style the older that they have gotten. And I'm a pretty hands-off parent because I'm my style is you need to fall. And, it, and you need to do that on your own. And I'm not going to sit here and enable you. He is a classic helicopter parent and an enabler. So what he typically does is he'll blow up my phone when the kids are acting out or doing something, or he heard of something that I allowed them to do that he doesn't want them to do. Right. 
and he will blow up my phone and criticize my parenting style and how much he disagrees. Okay, so that's one. Um, even if the kids are little, so like, I remember my kids uh, in first or second grade, and sometimes they were just too tired to do their homework. And I said, you're gonna get a hall pass tonight, because you're melting down and no one's winning here. Oh, that would never happen with him. Right. And <laughs> our parent, his parenting style, being that he's a helicopter parent, he is very controlling. He, he needs order and control, which I know this, and I have empathy for him. So rather than me saying F you to him, that's your style and my style, um, I will either ignore the, the text altogether or I will find some neutral ground to make him feel calm, right? And ultimately, what we when we're co-parenting with a, a high-conflict person, we are more concerned about our kids and their anger being taken out on our kids rather than really caring about their anger. Right. Right. I mean, that's that's what. We yeah, about. that's so important is, you, you know, the the fear we're, we're grown ups, we can take care of ourselves. But the kids very much get caught in the middle of that tug of war, especially, you know, it, with any parents that have different styles, but certainly with this type of a power struggle. I'd like to take a moment now to talk to my mediation colleagues. Many of you are intrigued when you find out that I have a fully online mediation practice. And when you hear that my overhead is under $100 a month, you definitely want to know more. Because of all the interest, I have created my online mediation training program that helps you to add an online platform to your practice quickly and easily. The hottest trend in mediation right now is online mediation. And you can be online too. In the program, you're going to learn the basics of conducting your mediations through an online platform and the practical and ethical considerations that you need to know. I conduct the personalized one-on-one -on -one trainings and group trainings online at your convenience, and I even hold special reduced-price webinars periodically. So go to learntomediateonline.com to find out more. And for those who mention the podcast, you'll receive $50 off the cost of the one-on-one -on -one training. I look forward to seeing you online soon. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, best-selling author Lindsay Ellison, in part one of Magic Words for Getting What You Want from a Narcissist. Now that you've identified their fears and insecurities, you're going to use that to your advantage. And it's not for you to manipulate them and be mean. It's not, it's not doing that. You're not teasing them on their fears and insecurities. What you're doing is you're understanding what they are so that you can speak to those fears and insecurities so that, again, you're not creating a narcissistic injury every time you speak to them. If you are enjoying this episode, check out Ready to start swiping? Top tips for getting back out there after divorce with America's favorite dating expert, Bella Gandhi. You feel like you're the last single person left in America that doesn't have a date for Valentine's Day? Eh, that's wrong. Almost half of adults don't are in the same are in the same arena. So get excited. There's lots of lids to your pot out there and lots of people are online dating. And now we return to today's show. Yes, and so when they are, if you've got a, an ex like mine who's very controlling and likes to really dictate and tell you what to do, what he often does is he tattletales. He will tattletale on the kids, 
he will tattletale on me to the kids. Right. Or, you know, his most fun thing is that he'll group test all of us and tattletale and like basically create a triangulational situation. And my kids are like, mom, make this stop. Right. So yeah. it's often about parenting styles and then not agreeing to kid activities. This starts early on. It doesn't matter what age your kids are. It's I want the kids to do football and, you know, the other parent doesn't. Or one parent uh, will over schedule, and I do find it's the narcissistic parent that is really over scheduling their child. And I mean, again, same thing happened to me. And I always like to remind my readers, and I say this and my listeners, is that the key thing you have to see is that narcissists see their children as an extension of who they are. Yep. And they want them to be just like them, or they want their child to have everything that they didn't have. And so if one parent grew up poor and now they have money, they're going to over schedule their kids because they, in their minds, they want to have all the opportunities that they never had. And it's one thing for a kid to be over scheduled in one marital home. It's another to over schedule a kid in two different homes, which means those sports, don't accommodate divorced parents. No. It's like practices on Tuesday, Thursday, and every other Sunday, right? Oh my God. I mean, if you have more than one kid, we can get very caught up in driving them around and doing things that is no, it's not benefiting anybody. So the kid activities is, is another kind of trigger point for a lot of co-parents. Then there's the emotional attachment that we have towards our ex. And what is that? It's typically anger. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's what's left after all of that, yeah. right? Yeah, resentment. And what we will see uh, is as our kids get older, we will start to see the narcissistic parent treating their children the way they treated us. That is a huge trigger point for us. And so ultimately, subconsciously, we are getting re-traumatized. Every and single no time. no one knows that this is happening. Right. And then we are so freaking out that our kids are now going through this abuse. And then we have guilt. It's like survivor's guilt where we're like, well, we got out, but they don't have that option. And the dangerous part there is enabling our kids to not have communication with their parents, that narcissistic parent in the best way possible. So this is why I wrote the book. So you read it, you can empower yourself with this different strategy. And then as your kids get older, you empower them with the same strategy. Because while we can divorce our significant other, it's very hard for kids to divorce their parent. And a lot of them don't even want to, right? So this emotional attachment that we have towards them and the anger and the getting re-traumatized ultimately gets funneled down onto the kids and and then know everyone's stressed out so that that can be another one and then of course the the most kind of i don't know the word popular but the most well uh, common issue between co-parenting with a narcissist is being stonewalled you get no response from them at all right yeah, they radio silence when you're radio trying to get an answer and you're like uh can you pick up jimmy at five at soccer because i can't nothing and ultimately, the stonewalling is, is designed as a manipulation tool 
for them to set you up for failure. And what they do very, very well is they stonewall, 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 to now the point you become hysterically mad. You're F-bombing everything in your text. And then they basically get to show it to their lawyer and say, look how crazy she is or he is, right? And, yeah. and we have unraveled. So these are all typical things that I hope my book addresses on some level. Well, and I, you know, I, as I said at the beginning, I've read the book. I'm holding it up right now for everyone who's watching this on the YouTube channel. Um, the book is incredibly helpful. I, I mentioned this to you beforehand. I'm a huge fan of giving people accessible and immediately usable tools. And that's what this book is. Now, um, I think, you know, let's take a deep dive into the book. Um, I know we can't actually take a deep dive into each magic uh, word um, and element element of your formula, but I would love to highlight the formula um, and encourage people to get the book to get that deeper dive. But, um, you know, the first thing I just did want to comment on, uh, because we mentioned this earlier, is I, you sent me the book. I actually went on Amazon and the only negative review that I saw was someone was upset because it's it's short. The book is only 70 some odd pages, which actually I think is a benefit, everyone, because it's a lot of helpful information in a very quick and easy read that you can then, you know, tuck in a pocket and keep reading. But, um, you know, what what are your thoughts on why you made the book the length that it is? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked me that question, because having gone through this a divorce and marriage, I mean, Okay, for, you, for those of it, people who are watching, I have books and books and books behind me, and then that started off from me too. married. And when we are in crisis mode, we don't have time to read a lot of books. And I remember getting so frustrated, like, okay, when are you gonna, when are you gonna tell me what to do? And so much, I think really publishers are, are telling their authors because, you know, size matters in, in what publishers world. And have you ever read a self-help book where they spend literally a quarter of it telling you what they're going to tell you? Yeah. And without telling you what without they're telling, telling you. you. And you're like, oh my God, just get to the point. And I just knew and having... Um, I was just writing this right in the middle of while well, I'm helping all these clients and I just know the frenetic energy that, that this, it's, you're in chaos and they don't have time to read. And that's why I created it to be so freaking straight to the point and so direct. And, and then I also wanted it to fit into your pocketbook or to fit right. into your glove compartment or your side, you know, in, in your car so that when you are getting a text message, you can literally glance at it and, and, and use it as a resource guide to say, okay, wait, what don't, you know, just to remind you, because all this is, um, a new language pattern is like breaking a habit. And it's, and so in order to break the habit, you got to keep practicing until it becomes second nature. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And, um, I, I'm, I'm, I get more positive feedback on the length rather than the negative feedback. Well, and I that concurs with what I thought when I read it, because honestly, there's a, a short introduction and a conclusion. But as you said, you get right to the meat of your formula. And so maybe we can jump to the formula right now, because I think that that is that helpful information that people will want to hear. Now, I want to point out to everyone, you know, we could spend 
at least an hour or more talking about each one of the steps of the formula. There's there's a lot of content in the ideas, but bottom line, magic actually is your formula. So you have very cleverly taken each letter in the word magic, M-A-G-I-C, and each one corresponds to a step in your formula, um, which is, again, I think very helpful for people. Mnemonics are so wonderful. People can easily remember things and help you walk through it. Um, M stands for map their persona, which is the first step of your formula. So let's like, let's jump into that one. Okay. Well, just to give some background is that I came from an advertising background before I even got into coaching. So I have been spent my whole career on how to communicate and persuade buyers to buy such product. And the first element of when we're developing an ad campaign for a particular product, we do persona development. And we have to get to know what makes this person think, tick, and know everything about them. Well, the good news here is that I don't need, you know, my, my readers do not need extensive qualitative and quantitative analysis with focus groups, because that's what we do in advertising. You've been with this person for a really long time. So you actually have all that data up here in your head. So this is great. So mapping their persona is really just taking out everything that you know about them and writing it down. And so in the book, I have uh, examples using a fictitious character, a Bill the Narcissist, and then I provide a question and answer format so that you can do that for yourself and how to map their persona. And each step builds upon each other. So mapping their persona is the first step of really seeing them. And again, the whole point of this exercise um, and make sure you do it because even though you might know it up on the top of your head, the whole point of your exercise is to, or this whole book is to see your narcissist with a different lens. You're taking off the glasses that you've been looking at them this whole time and you're going to see it from a very bird's eye view of, oh my God, and it's going to start to connect the dots of, holy crap, I totally see what this person is, is doing. Okay, so mapping their persona is that first step. Yeah, and actually, I loved how you handled this because that could sound like a big task, actually, but you have done it in a very simple way of asking a question and then giving that example of what an answer might look like. And I think it's interesting, you know, Bill Eddy always says that narcissists and other people with high conflict personalities or disorder personality disorders actually are very predictable. Yeah. Um, they they do the same things over and over again. But when you're living in the tornado of that type of behavior, it can be hard to discern those patterns. So this mapping is actually a wonderful way for you from, as you said, that bird's eye view to see what those patterns are, identify them. Yes. And then in your in your process, you move on to assessing. So A from magic is assess their fears or insecurities. Yeah. So in order for you to get what in order for you to persuade someone to do what you want them to do, you have to know where are their weak points, right? And I even give that example of uh, in the book about the slogan, choosy moms choose Jeff, right? The old peanut butter <laughs> slogan, right? Yeah. Um, somewhere in that market research, they probably assessed a mom's insecurity is that she is not doing a good enough job. 
right? That's always our fear. We're not doing enough. Right. So they're complimenting, psychologically complimenting that you're a choosy mom, you're a good mom if you buy my product. So it's a very similar thing. And in order for them to get to that awesome, very, very, you know, uh, slogan that we all remember from years ago, that did not happen by accident. They did extensive research. So we have to do the same thing. Where we have to assess their fears and insecurities. And again, it's a question and answer format, but so much of it is the origin of where those fears and insecurity came from, and it is always from their childhood. So I, ask, I offer a number of questions of what was the relationship like with their mom? What was the relationship like with their dad? Like really getting the whole family dynamic. And then we're gonna pick out all these words that keep coming up. And then you're gonna tally the words that keep coming up and you're gonna come up with uh, a list of five to 10 words such as fear of money or always needing to win or fear of exposure or fear of, um, you know, he might have a small man's complex or they're not liked enough. So we're going to pull all those out and then you're going to then identify the top three. And then again, that builds on to the next uh, strategy and how you're going to communicate. But you're always now that you've identified their fears and insecurities you're going to use that to your advantage and it's not for you to manipulate them and be mean it's not it's not doing that you're not teasing them on their fears and insecurities what you're doing is you're understanding what they are so that you can speak to those fears and insecurities so that again you're not creating a narcissistic injury every time you speak to them so it's really a communication tool. It's Absolutely. helping you identify how to communicate with a narcissist who may have a different pattern of communication than how other people might process information because, you know, and I think that's a very, very valuable tool for people as they get into into this formula because that's now you're identifying the key motivators for the person you're dealing with. So we're going to pause this episode here and bring you part two of Magic Words for Getting What You Want from a Narcissist with best-selling author Lindsay Ellison next week on Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So be sure to tune in and find out what G, I, and C stand for, as well as other helpful tips for managing your narcissist. you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond. Oh,